From WHQR Public Media, this is the Newsroom. I'm Ben Schockman. Thanks for joining us. On Friday, September 1st, the New Hanover County Board of Education voted 4-3 to to temporarily remove the book Stamped Racism, Anti-Racism, and You, written by Jason Reynolds, adapted from the work of Ibram X. Kendi. Removing the book from the school has been the goal of Katie Gates for the better part of a year. Her daughter was a student in Kelly Kidwell's AP course at Ashley High School, an advanced college-level course where students studied rhetoric. When Kidwell assigned Stamped, Gates objected, and her daughter was given an alternative assignment pretty quickly. But Gates was still unhappy that the book was being taught at all, and appealed to two separate school committees to try and get the book removed. Both appeals were unsuccessful, and so Gates took her appeal to the school board. The board's four conservative Republicans, Chairman Pete Wildeboer, Vice Chair Pat Bradford, Josie Barnhart, and Melissa Mason, who all campaigned against liberal indoctrination during last year's election, voted in favor of removing the book. The board's more moderate Republican, Stephanie Kraybill, and two Democrats, Hugh McManus and Stephanie Walker, voted against removing the book. Opponents of the book removal have questioned why one parent, whose student is no longer in the class, was allowed to push for a decision that impacts many other students. But Gates has said she feels she represents not just herself, but families and students across the county. Now, Kendi's writing on the racial dynamics in the United States has made him an antagonist for conservatives. So it's not wholly surprising that a book based on his work, especially one for students, would draw criticism. But Stamped is hardly the only book on the radar for Republicans who are concerned about what's being taught in schools. Although we should note, a recent Ipsos NPR poll showed roughly half of Republicans are opposed to book bans in general. During the five-hour hearing, yes, five hours, board members worked through a lot of the concerns about Stamped, weighing Gates's complaints against the defense of the book by Don Brinson, an assistant superintendent for New Hanover County Schools. But as the hearing proceeded, it became more clear than ever that there's a lot more going on here than just concerns about one book. There's a clash of ideologies, a proxy for the culture war, with stark differences about how we should think and talk about America's past, present, and future. That's why local political parties have gotten involved, and why the public has become so invested, and why the media, including us, have been following the story and reporting on it. With me now is my colleague, Rachel Keith, who's been doing a lot of that reporting for WHQR. Rachel, thanks so much for being here. Thank you. So to start, I think one of the central issues that board member Stephanie Crable got to was whether or not Katie Gates's feelings and decisions about this book should have a broader impact on the course curriculum and the district as a whole. So here's Crable. Ms. Gates, I'm wondering why you believe you have the right to dictate what the whole county can read and not just what your child can read. So you can hear there the chairman, Pete Wildeboer, gaveling the audience. There were about 150 people that were in attendance. 
And the audience dynamics, it was fairly split. Um, Katie Gates got some applause from her side as well, and some in the crowd booed when Katie Gates said at one time that there's no systemic racism in the country. So Pete did have to remind the audience to be silent when the arguments were being given or questions were being asked. So as we've discussed in the newsroom over the last week, this was both an argument about the book Stamped but also a larger clash of ideological beliefs. But I want to start with some of the complaints that were more focused on the book and the course, starting with the issue of AP scores. Tell me a little bit about that. Yes, Gates in her opening statement said that Ashley High School, they have some of the lowest AP test scores in the district. And that, again, was in her opening argument. And she said at one time that's because teachers like Kelly Kidwell teach from a, quote, personal bias. She also said, quote, the kids paid the price for their test scores. But then you have Superintendent Dr. Charles Faust. So he was seated next to Assistant Superintendent Don Brinson, who gave the defense of the two MTAC committees who said that the book could stay. So this is what Faust said about that issue. When looking at a book, um, looking at teacher results, we have to pay attention to highly effective. And we're talking about a, a resource that a teacher used to have the highest scores in the district, 60 plus percent of her students received a three or four. In the UNC system, a three will get you the, the college credit. And board member Josie Barnhart also brought up this low test score issue later in the hearing, but that doesn't seem to apply to Kidwell's class. You heard Dr. Faust saying she had some of the best test scores in her class in the district. Katie Gates, during her questioning session, she said that her daughter did get a four on the exam, but then she said that was only due to her daughter's individual efforts. And at one point, Stephanie Walker, she's a Democratic board member, asked Gates, After taking Kidwell's course, could she write a rhetorical analysis critiquing Stamped if she was allowed to even read the book? And she said yes. Yeah. Another thing that came up talking about the book and the course specifically was what's called the Lexile rating of the book Stamped. And this was kind of a pivot for some of the conservatives who didn't want this book. They shifted in some part away from a critique of the book's content to just the book's reading level. And I can say, as someone who has taught an intro to British literature class, this is an issue. You want books that are challenging for students to read. That is part of the process, especially if you're talking about rhetoric. However, it's only part of how you evaluate something. There are some books that are written in kind of a sparse, simplistic way. Uh, Hemingway is the go-to example for literary nerds, but there's also Eli Wiesel's Night or the poetry of E.E. Cummings, stuff that is very stripped down. But you can really find some deep complexity there as you tease apart what the author is saying. Yeah, and Assistant Superintendent Don Brinson, she used that exact argument. She cited Hemingway, she cited Knight, that these are low lexiles, but they are mature subjects that the students are reading. So it's only part of the story. Absolutely. Okay, so let's move on and talk about some of the debate over the AP syllabus process. Yes, let's hear from Katie Gates on what her issue was with Kelly Kidwell's syllabus. Both Stamped and a book, 57 Bus, which focuses on gender identity, were required readings in her class that were left off the college board syllabus when she submitted her class for approval by the college board. Those two books remain entirely unapproved with zero accountability. 
the educational suitability of the book was never evaluated either by the College Board nor the MTAC prior to its use in the classroom. This is a deceitful practice. Okay, so we should say that we did reach out to the College Board. That's the nonprofit that basically certifies courses to be AP classes. And they told us teachers do have to present a syllabus and they're audited no more than once a year, but teachers are given a lot of flexibility. And I should say that as board member Hugh McManus pointed out, college courses have this kind of flexibility. There are core points teachers have to hit, but professors are professionals and they're given some leeway in what books to choose. So I don't think that's an accurate criticism based on what the college board told us. Yeah, and the four Republican members who voted to remove Stamped, they didn't really accept this reasoning, and they continued to agree with Gates, saying that this was not transparent. And at one point, you heard Katie Gates said that there was no approval process, but the MTAC committee at Ashley High School, they did approve this book and they they brought it through the library and they kept harping on this point. It did not have to go through the quality review checklist because again, it was already purchased by the library. And this checklist is only used when a teacher brings a source material into the school. So there was a lot of debate about how this book came to be and why wasn't it on the syllabus. And you heard Katie Gates saying it was deceitful, but it looks like teachers can add and remove supplemental materials. And another point that was made during the hearing was that this is a relatively new book. And part of the AP is to stay up to date on contemporary novels and books and nonfictional texts. So Kelly Kidwell can choose these types of supplemental materials. And you heard Dr. Faust say that as well. Yeah, I want to pivot a little bit here to something we mentioned at the top of the show, which is that Kate's objected to this book and her daughter was given an alternate assignment pretty quickly by Kelly Kidwell, but it did probably have some impact on the dynamic in that classroom. So I want to talk about that a little bit. Yes, um, we're going to hear from Josie Barnhart. She is talking about the impact of this book. You can hear her starting to say that she doesn't feel comfortable with the content. And then she goes into how Katie Gates's daughter was affected. This is an acknowledgement that this is a very one-sided document. When you are developing curriculum, I think it's important to ensure that you have a well-rounded curriculum. And when you're doing that, it's not a dig at one thing or the other. But what we have to ensure is that when we're looking through the lens of academic curriculum development, that we have both sides, that potentially we have the opportunity of choice in the curriculum for the students, meaning Ms. Gates's daughter was isolated in this process because she just wanted a choice. And I got to interview Katie Gates during the closed session that was during the hearing before they deliberated on their decision. I asked if her being removed out of the classroom, was it her choice? Yeah. And one thing I will say here is that whatever we think about Stamped and Kidwell's choices and Gates's choices, it is tough to be a teenager. It really is. Yes. I remember being in middle school when we had sex ed. There was one student uh, whose parents were very devout evangelical Christians and pulled her out of that class and she was bullied and that was terrible. And so I think it is worth acknowledging that all other things aside, yeah, this this might have been tough for Gates's daughter, but this, you know, this was Katie Gates's decision. And she was outside of the class. You requested that? Yeah, I asked, uh, yep, that she would be exempt from the assignment and, um, and so she ended up going to her Cape Fear classes and uh, yep only. 
Will DeBoer, the chairman, also brought up this issue. And going back to Barnhart's comments, the four Republican members who voted to remove the book said something to the effect of, and Katie Gates, obviously, that this was part of her argument, where is the balance in this classroom? And at one point, Will DeBoer said it doesn't look like there is much. Brinson responded that Kidwell reads a variety of works and it's difficult to have one text in a rhetoric class to take on several arguments in one piece and that the balance comes from the other materials that she's selected. I want to shift again here and talk about some of the the personal stuff here because this was presented by Katie Gates as being a real struggle that she had been through. And at the same time, I think there were a lot of ad hominem attacks against Kelly Kidwell as the teacher. So suffice to say, like this got personal. Yes. And again, there were these narratives. Kelly Kidwell was hurt. Katie Gates and her family were hurt. And at one point, Pete Wildebor, the chairman, asked Gates, is this a normal pattern for you? And she responded, no, this is not my normal pattern. But since I covered the school board and I have been for some time, I watch all of the call to the audience. And Katie Gates has been attending these since July 2021 is when I started watching her come and and speak during the call. And here she is on her views. And this is not on stamped. This is on her views of the social studies standards. And again, this tape is back from July 2021. So I believe that vague and generalized concepts in these standards leave the door wide open for our schools to abuse the teaching of civics and history by using that time to and space to teach SEL, social emotional learning, and critical race theory concepts like equity and implicit bias. They indoctrinate and categorize our kids, and they divide, not unify. Gates also started calling out Kelly Kidwell's classroom in January of this year. And she appeared subsequent times to further address stamped and the decisions of the MTAC committees. And like you said, Ben, at certain times, I mean, she did engage in some ad hominem attacks on Kelly Kidwell and her teaching and saying that she's biased and wasn't capable of giving the students the best education. And at one point, she said that other parents were afraid to speak out because they would fear her retaliation on grading. So that was a pretty strong accusation that she made during her statements. And at one point, though, Stephanie Walker, who's a board member, asked Gates if this was self-imposed. And when I interviewed Kelly Kidwell after the hearing, and we're going to hear from her in a moment, she says all of this commentary didn't feel great. And she feels like she's not trusted by some of these board members. You told me I had to prove that I was trained and I was a professional. I have to continually add credits to keep my license. I have degrees. I'm supposed to be an expert. You hired me to be an expert. You won't let me do my job. So I do want to say that I have spoken to conservatives who felt like Katie Gates was a, quote, mama bear who was, you know, dragged into this, who was thrust into the spotlight. And I do just want to course correct that a little bit to say Um, Both that she's a professional public speaker herself. She teaches courses on, I believe it's like Christian government, but also that, as you have reported on, she's been in front of the board many times. That's not to say that it isn't daunting to go in front of a very large audience because you know people are watching online. So it's not to take away from that. The dynamics here have been misconstrued a little bit. Yeah, and I found out about Stamped was when Katie Gates came to the public comment period and she called out this particular classroom. And I it's very easy to go and look up Kelly Kidwell. And I contacted her and said, what do you have to say about this? Because someone is calling you out directly. Yeah. So on the flip side of this is Kelly Kidwell. 
And again, as a former teacher, I would be very intimidated by being pulled in front of the board and the public and to answer for my choices, even though I would stand by them, that's still an intimidating process. And she has come to the public comment period to defend herself. It was a couple months ago. Because she's had to. And she's I, had to. Yeah. I think one of the concerns we've heard from teachers is that this is already a difficult profession. You know, there are complaints about pay. There's uh, a lot of emotional challenges in your day-to-day life. Um, Respect of the profession. Yeah. And so I think some teachers are concerned about the precedent this is setting. After the decision was made, I interviewed briefly board member Stephanie Walker. This is what she had to say about Kelly Kidwell. First of all, we need you as a teacher. You're valued. You're a professional. Your viewpoint matters. Your excellent track record. The fact that you have gotten so many students through the AP course and they've done so well. And Walker, during the hearing, did ask Don Brinson, the assistant superintendent, if teachers would leave because of this new precedent that they are setting was stamped. And she said, quote, the potential is there. So going back to Faust's comments, he said, and we didn't get to hear that section, but during the hearing, he said that the district has to trust their teachers to teach the standards and they use the materials that they deem appropriate to teach those. And I've studied some of the teacher working condition surveys, both at the state level and at the county level, and they say that they're losing their autonomy. So it's important, Dr. Faust said, to teach the standards, but they do have some leeway in how they do that. So that covers, I think, some of the issues about the teacher, the class, the course, the book. But obviously, there was more at stake here. The turnout alone lets you know this was about more than just the book. So we need to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to talk about the ideological conflict that's behind the debate over Stamped. You're listening to The Newsroom. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Newsroom. I'm WHQR News Director Ben Shockman here with my colleague Rachel Keith. Rachel, thanks for being with us. Thank you. So we've been talking about the debate over Stamped. I don't know how you could have missed this, but last week there was a five-hour hearing about the book Stamped in one AP course in the New Hanover County School District. But it was very clear that this debate wasn't just about whether or not this book was suitable, whether or not it was appropriately added to the library, whether or not it fit in the AP curriculum. This was about an ideological disagreement about how we teach history. And I think a lot of that has to do with how we teach America's deeply sad and traumatic and violent racial history. We've talked about the balance in Kelly Kidwell's classroom and the four Republican members who voted to remove the book. They were upset by her other selections that she chose to read. Pat Bradford is the vice chair. She actually read out the other main text that Kelly Kidwell uses, and she even brought the books and showed them to the audience. And this is what she said about them. The theme I see there is more about This group of people oppressed this group of people. I don't see the balance. But Bradford did say during this process that she approved of Kidwell's reading of The Red Badge of Courage and the autobiography of Frederick Douglass. And again, the four Republican members and Gates continually questioned if Kelly Kidwell 
actually read other primary source documents like excerpts of the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, and speeches from George Bush, Ronald Reagan, and Mitch McConnell. And that was Don Brinson, again, her argument that Kelly Kidwell had other texts. It was a year-long course. They read a ton of things, and the balance was in those because stamped was only a short period of time in the entire year of the course. And here is Kelly Kidwell on this issue of those who have power and those who don't and how she approaches that in her AP classroom. The story of the oppressor and the oppressed, like that is a human story. And for most of history, the oppressor has been able to tell the story. And now we're getting to a place in society where like, hey, maybe we should hear from the people who are oppressed in the system and hear how they are framing this and how they view it. And that's what the book stamp does is it shows a perspective from a group of people, the voice of a group of people who have been oppressed by certain systems that shouldn't necessarily have feelings of guilt that accompany it unless you have a reason to feel guilty. And during Katie Gates's opening statement, she said that this book was made to make white students feel bad. But Hugh McManus is a board member. He said that while she has these opinions, this is an important book for him and for the black community here. That to ban this book is a slap at the awareness opportunity for someone to write their First Amendment rights about what they believe was black history. It's a slap at the black community, and it begins, gosh, how many more are we going to have to condemn or ban? And that's your opinion. And as I said earlier, I'll fight for you to to express it. I appreciate it. But I want to make sure that we all understand this this is not our history. Well, I take that back. I don't know I said that. It is part of our history. We're all involved in it. But it is especially important for our black community, not only here, but everywhere. This was McManus's last statement to Gates. She, after he said that, she asked, is there a question in that? And McManus sarcastically said, oh, was was that a statement? And that was one of the, his last interactions with her. And then I stayed and did my interviews after the decision. And then there was a brief press conference. And you have Sonia Patrick, who's a civil rights black activist. We have Deborah Dix Maxwell, who was the president of the North Carolina NAACP and other black and democratic leaders. And they were not happy. Here is Sonia Patrick. We can't change the past, but we can make a better future. But today, they made a new place in history on racism right here in New Hanover County. But uh, one parent should not decide this decision. We are all, we are all taxpayers. And it should have never gotten this far. But we will not give up. And it's interesting because Katie Gates, during her argument, said, I am a taxpayer. So which taxpayers get the voice is the question here. Again, going back to the book Stamped, the four took issue with this being labeled a nonfiction book, but it does have extensive endnotes with primary and secondary sources. Editors and publishers designate that this is a nonfiction book, and Gates, during her arguments, took issues with these sources, and she wrote rebuttals to some of these endnotes to what she submitted to the board for this hearing. And Assistant Superintendent Brinson said she contacted the editors of the book and they said that they did fact check these sources. And it was part of the decision was to direct Kelly Kidwell to have more balance in her classroom. We've talked about that and that she has to select another balanced book to stamped, even though now it's removed. 
Yeah, so I think part part of the issue here is that Stamped does have a very critical view of some foundational tenets of the United States, like Christianity, like capitalism. And you can find nonfiction books that celebrate these things, that criticize these things, that sort of try to get a more nuanced view of these things. But the world of nonfiction doesn't mean you can't have an opinion. It's just opinion based on fact. So there was some attempt to critique this as being fictionalized accounts, but from the people I've spoken to who don't like this book and who really don't like Ibram X. Kendi, whose work this book is based on, it's not so much the factual inaccuracies, it's the attitude. So I think that's just part of the conversation. Yes, and part of the motion at one point introduced by Vice Chair Pat Bradford was to put this in the opinion section in the library, in the high school libraries, and then at one point they said there's no opinion section in these libraries. But here we have Kelly Kidwell, and this is her response to this motion to have a balanced book in her classroom. What is the alternate point of view to racism? That there is no racism and racism's not a problem in the United States or the side of the white supremacists that say we had a right to operate this way? Like, I don't understand what that looks like. If I'm teaching the Holocaust, there are certain things that are just objectively wrong and bad. I'm not going to give a space when I'm teaching the Holocaust for Hitler to justify why it was okay to annihilate people. We will mention it in passing. We may look at a quote or two about it, but there's not going to be, they're not going to read a book that says the Holocaust was good. And it's the same thing like in Florida where they're trying to like reframe slavery that it gave uh, usable skills that could be parlayed into a career. Slavery is wrong. It did not benefit anyone but the white slave owners, period. And when I did interview Kelly Kidwell, she said throughout this process, she is trying to add more conservative voices to value those families and their voices in her classroom. So she said she's working on that. But we'll go back to Pat Bradford. She said that Reynolds' rhetoric was not reputable and it shouldn't be used, that it's poor writing and that she's an expert in this area. And she didn't understand why this non-history book, and we've already talked about that, was used in this rhetoric course. But these students do have to evaluate arguments. They do have to identify any claims that the author is making. And that is usually on a salient issue or historical event that could be seen as divisive. And again, it's worth remembering that this is not a history course. It is a rhetoric course. And the way Jason Reynolds writes is a very particular kind of conversational approach. It is not the kind of the dry and boring Prentice Hall history textbook style of rhetoric. And that's one of the things students would be asked to evaluate. Is this effective? Is this not effective? Yes. And there was a lot of arguments from Gates and the four Republican members and said, okay, well, maybe we'll just read this in a history course. But part of AP rhetoric and AP language is evaluating arguments that are nonfiction, like what, what happened during the Declaration of Independence. So here is Kelly Kidwell on this issue, too. The college board expects them to analyze current people's speeches and writings as well as past, and they have to be able to do both. And I need students to be able to connect with stuff. Students connect with Jason Reynolds. His voice is very approachable. His writing style is very approachable. It is a unique way to analyze rhetoric. To look at a Thomas Jefferson speech and then compare what Reynolds says about Thomas Jefferson would be, case in point, a way to study the rhetoric. Okay, so now I think we can get into some of the real meat of this. And that has to do with Katie Gates's claim that she has repeated a couple of times 
that the book is anti-American and anti-Christian. When it comes to the issue that K. Wells is talking about, what is the flip side of racism, is there are people who argue that there is no such thing as systemic racism, that all of the major race-based problems in the United States have been legislatively solved. I mean, you spoke with Nevin Carr, who is the chair of the New Hanover County GOP, and he basically said there's no institutional racist laws in the United States anymore. And he contrasted that to other nations around the world. And that's true. I mean, there are nations that just have straight up racist laws on the books. You know, it's a whole other podcast for a whole other time. Yes. But that is a problem in other countries. But the idea of systemic racism is that it is more subtle. It is more nuanced. It is about your experience when you get pulled over, when you try to take out a home loan, stuff like that. And so that Health statistics and there are statistics to back it up. And so I think but that's that's the argument. So and I will say that Katie Gates and Nevin Carr, they say that there are racist people in our country right now, but there's no coordinated effort to disenfranchise black people or minorities in this country. And so that is their point of view. And then here is Kelly Kidwell. She's talking about this historical issue that Jason Reynolds and Ibram X. Kendi are trying to take on in this book. Ironically, in Stamps, one of the the most salient points is this idea that you take a historical figure like Thomas Jefferson and actually you can't look at him with a black and white lens. He's not good or bad. He's a human and he's complicated and he did awful things. He raped slaves and he owned humans. But he also wrote the Declaration of Independence. And like, how do we hold both of those things in our head? Like, that's the whole point that Stamped is trying to make, is that nothing is this black and white, clean thing. It's very complicated. And America is an amazing country, but they've also done some really awful things. And you can love your country and still know that there are awful things that happen here. And I think this gets to some of the root of what people are arguing about is, can you criticize the United States at all? And I think a lot of intellectuals feel like, yeah, you, you can. In fact, that's one of the most American things you can do. When it comes to Jefferson, there's a really great PBS frontline on, on Jefferson that says it's not fully accurate to say that he was a rapist. But it's also not fully accurate to say that he had any thing resembling like a loving marriage with Sally Hemings. That's what we're talking about here. And it's complicated. It's, you know, he was of his time, but certainly there are things he has done that people find absolutely morally reprehensible, like owning human beings. At the same time, he wrote the Declaration of Independence. And I think that's what people like uh, Bill Moyers, for example, struggled. He has a great long speech about this, where he really tries to unpack that contradiction. That's what we do as historians. That's what we do as people who are studying rhetoric. Yes. And at one point, Assistant Superintendent Don Brinson said, Jason Reynolds is an American. Ibram X. Kendi is an American. And they have thoughts that they are sharing. And again, those thoughts are rooted in primary sources and, and secondary sources, but they do have a perspective. And it's also interesting because I've been listening to this debate for a while. I talked to Katie Gates, Nevin Carr, and they said, let's teach the good, bad, and the ugly of American history. But the issue comes in is that that history has no effect on 21st century America. And some people think that there is claims to talk about history is present. Phil Berger, the Senate Majority Leader, when he stood behind Mark Robinson, Lieutenant Governor, when he unveiled his indoctrination in North Carolina Public Schools report, he said the exact same thing, teach everything, but it does have no effect on present day. America. 
All right, well, we've got to take a quick break, but when we come back, I think there's more to unpack about these deeper ideological differences. Plus, we've got some fact-checking to do and some loose ends to tie up. You're listening to The Newsroom. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Newsroom. I'm WHQR News Director Ben Schockman here with my colleague, Rachel Keith. Rachel, thanks for being here. Thank you. And we've been unpacking the recent decision by the New Hanover County School Board, a split decision we should note, to remove the book Stamped from the AP course at Ashley High School. And obviously this was also about some bigger ideological issues that were clashing during this hearing about whether or not you can criticize the United States, whether or not that kind of criticism is un-American, whether or not it's some kind of gateway drug to Marxism. But I think it's also worth talking about how we talked about this, to be meta-reflective a little bit, because we have been calling this a, a book ban, and we have heard some people in the GOP push back. So I want to talk about this a little bit, Rachel. Yes. Katie Gates, Nevin Carr, the leader of the local GOP, see it as a book removal or being selective. They don't call it a book ban. Katie Gates herself said this is not a book ban because it's in the libraries right now for high schools. And the process, again, it's been criticized by the four Republican members who voted to remove the book and and by Katie Gates. But the process ultimately did work in the end in her favor. And even though in the end she did get what she wanted, she said that she still doesn't see it as a victory necessarily. I don't consider it a win for me. I think I'm not doing this for Katie Gates. I'm doing this for the students. I'm doing this for the community. I'm doing it because um, I want our students to grow up having pride in the country that we live in, to experience the freedoms that we experience in America, and to be grateful for it. Remember, we just heard from Kelly Kidwell. I mean, she thinks also America is an amazing place, but she wants to look at it more critically. So again, we have this divide in our country. So part of the motion that the board passed was that this was going to be a temporary removal until it was sent back to the policy committee. And they're looking at policy 3200. And that basically says how instructional materials get into the classroom. So I tried to get an interview with the chair, Pete Wildeboer. He declined that after the vote. He left. I mean, it was a long meeting, but I waited to see if I could get his comment. And I didn't. So I asked Stephanie Craybill what this temporary ban meant. It's a cop-out to pander to the people in the middle that um, are very sad that this is happening um, because they know they're going to change the policy. Uh, we've already heard it at the policy committee meeting. So that is just, it's just a pander. So it's not temporary but permanent? In my opinion, it's just a matter of time until it's permanent. So I watched this policy committee meeting that she's referring to, and yes, they were talking about the way in which instructional materials get into the schools, and they are looking at that. So that is something that we will be following. Through this public hearing, the four Republican members have made it very clear that this book is not meant for the classroom. And I also asked about the motion to direct Kelly Kidwell to have a balanced book in her classroom, and I asked 
Stephanie Craybill what this meant. I have no idea where they're coming from. What scares me is that they are going to, that I believe that at least three of them are going to try and pick the book they want to be in there, which means the school board is dictating to teachers what they can teach and how they can teach it. And Gates and some Republicans who speak at the call to the audience have advocated for this man and his writings. His name is Thomas Sowell to be a part of the curriculum. He's a black American economist. He argues more or less that systemic racism doesn't exist. And he's talked about very fondly by Supreme Court Judge Clarence Thomas. He values his work. And Gates at one point said, I would be really interested to hear a discussion between Ibram X. Kendi and Thomas Sowell. I would love to see that, essentially, saying, I would love to see those two debate. And actually, during the hearing, they said, well, if we just add this book, would you be satisfied? And she said yes, but ultimately that was not done because they did pull the book. And again, it is temporary, but we will see what happens. I just have to say, what a different world this would have been in New Hanover County over the last couple of months if that's how they approached this from the beginning. And there are certainly things in Thomas Sowell that people like Gates and Evan Carr uh, would absolutely love. He is, you know, staunchly anti-communist. He's a big proponent of free market economics. He's also highly critical of Donald Trump. He once suggested that people should vote for Trump over Hillary Clinton because Trump would be easier to impeach. Sowell was a Democrat until the early 70s when he left kind of a, a pox on both your houses Mercutio moment. But he's he's a libertarian and he's probably got some interesting ideas that you could put up against Ibram X. Kendi. And doing that instead of the the five hour hearing for one parent, for one concern is interesting. I also want to note that you made a note of this after the hearing that Gates also suggested reading Catcher in the Rye and Paradise Lost. And I will say that Catcher in the Rye has been one of the most banned books of all times, in part because of its themes, but mostly because of the language in it. But funny that that was a book that was banned everywhere. Uh, even when I was in high school, that was um, that was a very controversial book. And Paradise Lost, Milton was a heretic. I mean, the way he describes God and Jesus, as the God and the Son of God, as being two distinct people, rubbed the Christian establishment at the time in a very wrong way. Now Milton is obviously part of the classical corpus of Western literature, and you don't see people banning Milton very often. But I just think it's funny that books she suggested as classics were, in their time, incredibly controversial. Yes, and she said these explicit titles during her hearing. And we should note that Kelly Kidwell is not asking her students to ideologically agree with any of the books on her syllabus. In fact, some of them are designed to be challenging. And I think that is, to a certain extent, what sets aside a, a college-level course from a high school course is just how challenging a text you can be presented with. Uh, I will never forget, when I was an undergraduate, I had a course on political science where we read Mein Kampf, uh, Hitler's memoir, and we watched the propagandist films of Leni Riefenstahl, which glorified the Third Reich. My professor, who was gay and Jewish, did not want us to become national socialists. He was not trying to indoctrinate us into fascism. The goal of the course was to understand how an educated, civilized society like Germany descended into absolute barbarism. And to do that, we had to read some challenging stuff and pick it apart and see how it worked rhetorically. I could see a book like that, not suggesting that Kidwell is teaching Mein Kampf, to be very clear, but I could see a challenging book like that having a home in an AP course like this where you have to say, 
okay, I need to reckon with this. I need to deal with this intellectually. And that's what rhetoric is. It's about diction, and that means word choice. It's about tone. And it is about content, because you have to understand what they're arguing and to see if the evidence lines up with that argument. And you, as the reader and the writer, have to decide that. And again, going back to the AP College Board, it explicitly states, you will not indoctrinate students into a line of thinking. We will be reading controversial texts. And at one point during the hearing, board member Hugh McManus asked Ms. Gates, would you be going to the chancellor once your daughter becomes of age to college with complaints about what she learns in certain courses? And she said, no, that would be inappropriate because she'd be in college. But then he came back and said, well, this is a college course. So is that not the same line of reasoning there? Yeah. So while we've got a little bit of time, there's a couple more loose ends I wanted to tie up. These are things that came up during the hearing and I've heard circulating around conversations about this. And I just want to clear up a couple issues. One was a point made by Chair Pete Wildeboer that he, he felt it was wrong that students were forced to purchase a book that they might not agree with or that might in some way be inflammatory to them. So, Rachel, you looked into this. Yes. Both Kelly Kidwell and the district representative, Don Brinson, said it's highly recommended that you purchase, but they will provide you a copy if you do not want to buy one. And Kelly Kidwell said that students, when they're at that level, annotate inside their books. And so that's why you would purchase. And at college, you have to purchase your own books. Oh, God, yeah. Um, Yeah. But yes, nobody was forced to buy the book. I will say also, it's 2023. You can find almost anything on the internet. We were able to find a um, a PDF version of Stamped. I won't say where. (laughs) Right. I think it's gone now. I think it might be gone, but it'll pop up. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so another issue was the, the four conservative Republicans who were in favor of removing this book all ran on parental rights. And I have heard conservatives phrase this debate about the book stamped and about books in libraries and, and school classrooms in general as an issue of transparency and accountability. And I think that's fair. Uh, as a journalist, I'm obviously very sympathetic to that argument. That's, that's kind of our whole thing. But I do feel like during the hearing, the process through which this book made its way into the school and onto Kidwell's uh, curriculum, was presented as if it was kind of a mysterious black box. And Rachel, you've actually been reporting on this process over the last year, and there does seem to be transparency and accountability here. So tell me a little bit about that. Yes, I published the first MTAC report verbatim. I scribbed it in. You can see the PDF for yourself. That was the Ashley High School's evaluation of the book, and it lists every single person on that committee. And it doesn't necessarily, they had some students and parents, those names weren't disclosed, but you could see teacher of the year. You can look that up and see who that is. And I reported on the second MTAC committee and it lists everybody verbatim, assistant superintendent of technology and digital learning. That's Don Brinson, chief equity, diversity and inclusion officer. That's Malcolm Johnson. You have the lead coordinator librarian, the high school principal of the year, teacher of the year, lead ELA teacher K through 5, lead 6 through 12 ELA teacher, lead K through 12 social studies teacher. So this was laid out who was on this committee. And another thing that came up and Stephanie Craybill asked Don Brinson, is this the only official complaint you have received about this book? And she said, yes. And I'm sure that Katie Gates and the four Republican members would say that Katie Gates represents families and other parents and other constituencies in this 
community, but technically only one parent, Katie Gates, filed an official complaint. Yeah. So I think it is fair to say that there are people who agree with Katie Gates who feel like this book, for whatever reason, either the Lexile score is too low or it's un-American, but it wasn't a petition. It wasn't a class action. It was one parent who came forward with a complaint, and it resulted in this five-hour hearing after two other committees had to look at this. Basically, a lot of time and energy went into the decision about one book in one class in one school, pulling the entire community in on opposite sides of the debate. It just seems like an enormous amount of time and emotional energy for one book. And that's not to say it isn't important because we covered it. So we obviously thought it was important. But I think it's worth considering one more time the precedent that's getting set here. And that is what former school board vice chair Nelson Bollier came to this week's school board meeting to say. So here's Bollier at the call of the audience. Think of the absurdity of the precedent that you have set that now exists in New Hanover County. A single parent with a single complaint about part of a curriculum can now be granted an opportunity to air this ignorance and imbecility before this board for five hours. How would you even begin to deny another parent's request for appeal after you have granted this one on such pathetically weak ground? Now, those are Nelson Bullier's words, and obviously he felt very strongly about this. So I'm not saying I agree with how harshly he put this, but I think there's something there about the precedent that has been set. What happens when another parent comes forward with a similar complaint? And it may be a very legitimate complaint. It could be a spurious complaint. We don't know. But Nelson's point is there wasn't a lot of questioning of Katie Gates on her standing. So like in a civil case. You have to be personally harmed by something. It has to be an ongoing issue for you to, to sue. You have to show how you were hurt. And so for Katie Gates to come forward and say, I want this book removed, when her child had received an alternate assignment, was now no longer in the class, she is, as Crable pointed out, attempting to make a decision for an entire classroom. And, I mean, because the option was on the table to remove this book entirely, she could have made a decision for the entire county. So what happens if say a very liberal progressive parents comes forward and says, I don't want you teaching the Declaration of Independence because Jefferson was a slave owning racist. What do we do? I mean, how often can we have five hour hearings? I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to detract from the passion that people showed that took them to that five hour limit. But seriously, at, at what point do we say, OK, we've got to come up with a better system? Just as an example of how do we govern? I think that's an important thing to look at. I honestly don't have an answer for that. I don't know if the board has an answer for that. Board member Hugh McManus has said this several times on the dais that this is a slippery slope and what is coming next. And he actually at one point during this hearing looked at Josie Barnhart and said, what else are we banning? And looked right at her and she said, I don't know what you're talking about. But they're anticipating more of these complaints to come down. Yeah. And I can say we know that there are conservative groups throughout the country that have a list of books that they would like removed from libraries. And again, as parents, that is their right to go through whatever due process is made available to them to try and get redress for that. But it, I think it's safe to say that Stamped is not the only book that people who feel that way are concerned about. It's also worth noting that we may not be done with the issue of Stamped in and of itself. You interviewed NAACP State President Deborah Dix Maxwell, who said they were considering civil action and I spoke to New Hanover County Democratic Party Chair uh, Jill Hopman, 
who said the party itself is probably not going to sue the school. But they said if an organization like the ACLU were to take up a case, they would 100 percent support it. So and that was a lot of the comments, actually, this week at the school meeting was about the potential for litigation. And Rachel, you actually tracked down a case in South Carolina where this is already happening. That's right. In Pickens County, South Carolina, it's the exact same book. And there was a lawsuit brought by the NAACP, the ACLU and parent groups to put it back. And it was the same issue that it passed two school committees and the board in this case voted unanimously to pull it. So it is very similar. Yeah. So this is my, my high level takeaway is that this is an issue we see in government all the time where you have elected officials who are accountable to the voters. That's a good thing. And then you've got staff who are not. They're appointed. They're part of the administrative state and they have to make decisions sometimes. And I understand people's frustration when the administrative state makes a decision because it's a bureaucrat. That's the derogatory term we use uh, when they do something we don't like. Uh, We say staff when we're happy. But if a staff member or bureaucrat makes a decision, you can't vote them out. So I get why parents are frustrated because you can't directly get at that. The flip side of that is that to a certain extent for government to run at all. You have to trust staff a little bit. In their professional expertise and their educational backgrounds and their experience. That's why they're hired. That's why they're paid. Maybe they should be paid more. I don't know. (laughs) But that's why you have staff. And so imagine a world in which an elected board has to micromanage every single decision. I can't see a way where it just doesn't grind to a halt. So you have to have some balance between the accountability of elected officials and the expertise of staff. Yeah, in my experience with CFCC and then this board, I hear over and over again that the board's main job is to oversee the superintendent or the president, and then their job is to oversee their college or their school system. So, look, there's obviously a lot of tension and passion around this issue. I don't think we've seen or heard the last of it, but hopefully this has helped to lay out what happened last week and where we are now. So, for the time being, Rachel Keith, thank you so much for your reporting. Thank you. All right. Well, that's all the time we have for this episode of The Newsroom. Thanks to my colleague Rachel Keith for all of her reporting and for joining us today. And thanks to Ken Campbell for production assistance. If you missed any part of this show, you can find it at whqr.org or get the show as a podcast pretty much everywhere you can get podcasts. If you have thoughts or comments about today's program or ideas for a future show, email us at newsroom at whqr.org. I'm Ben Schockman. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us for the next edition of The Newsroom.